So, um, by way of quick introduction, I'm Sophie, and this is my husband Ian, and we're from Cardiff Vineyard. And we are ridiculously excited to be in the position to interview these guys, who almost need no introduction, but we will ask them to. We're delighted to have Steve and Brenda and Michael Gatlin with us. All the way from the States to share a whole load of wisdom and experience. No pressure, you guys. We're delighted that they're with us and we want to just take this opportunity to ask some burning questions, find out, kind of try and get as much wisdom from them as we possibly can in this time. So strap yourselves in, I'm excited. And as you will have noticed, the theme of this conference is called Spirit Come. So we're gonna ask them some questions about what just happened this afternoon, about the Holy Spirit and what we can learn from them. But first of all, it would just be lovely if you would like to introduce yourselves. So if we could start with Steve, if you'd like to just introduce, well, I've introduced you as Steve, but what do you do and where are you from? And also, how do you relax? My name is Steve Nicholson. I am from Chicago. Although I grew up out in Montana in the West but when I got to Chicago, I was like a fish that found water. I love being in the city. And our church is an ultra-diverse church. We have people from 55 different nations of the world that are part of our church. Um, to relax, I like to do two things. I like to play strategy computer games and read history books. Woo-woo! <laughs> Surprising, we've gotten along so well all these years. But we have. God picks strange people sometimes. Yeah. Steve is, I, I don't even know if he knows this, but he's like, I think of him and I talk about him to others as the probably the primary mentor in my life. He's the one who drugged me up on stage and then walked off and, you know, left me high and dry a billion times. But, um, <laughs> but now I'm his regional leader, so that works. She's the boss now. But um, I, I grew up in Alaska in a pretty uh, conservative, evangelical little community church with no Holy Spirit. And I was never taught about the Holy Spirit or um, the gifts of the Spirit or never really any theology or practice of the Spirit. And um, I felt called to ministry, but I also didn't see any women doing ministry in my uh, little neck of the woods. And also in the denomination that I was in. And so uh, I met the Vineyard uh, shortly after Michael and I got married. And Steve was actually one of the, the first Vineyard meetings that, that we were at attending. Uh, and so he happened to be uh, part of that initial experience. But I think um, I was going to say something else about something else. but. Oh, what do I do? That's what I was trying to remember. Was what, what, what am I supposed to be talking about <laughs> besides the Holy Spirit? <laughs> it's like, um, I like to ride motorcycles. I have my own bike. I would not ride on the back of Michael's bike. I have my own bike so I can go as fast as I want. And uh, I love to cook for friends and family. That's always relaxing. Um, and uh, crochet. 
I'm trying to learn to be more creative. I hear it's healthy for us extroverts to do reflective things. But I'm not gonna read history books, forget it. That's not happening, you're looking. My, my name's Michael. What strategy games do you play? Uh, Civilization, like. Oh. The older they, the old ones are better than the new ones. So I, I played that as a board game. I didn't know it was like. It was a computer game first. All right, you guys can talk about that. Okay. Later. <laughs> That's why I'm in the middle of them. It was a, it was a board game before there were computers. Oh. There you go. I, uh, what, uh, I, Brenda and I uh, live in Duluth, Minnesota, where it's been snowing for the last three or four weeks, and uh, the ground's all white and beautiful, and it's so green over here. It's just so gorgeous. Warm here. Yeah. And um, we, uh, 20 years ago this month, we moved up there and replanted a church, and a uh, vineyard church, and it's just been an absolute blast. Um, and then I over, I, I currently, I took Steve's old job. Uh, I currently oversee church planting, or we call it Multiply Vineyard for uh, the states as well. To relax, I have like 27 hobbies, and I love them all. So it's everything from watercolor to playing music to uh, riding motorcycles faster than my wife. Working with leather. Making working stuff out of wood. leather. Yeah. Just, I just, I. You're very creative. I hate gardening. Gardening is just, I hate that. But everything else is fun. So. I feel like we could uh, ask you guys about what you do in your spare time for the rest of these couple of hours, but we should probably crack on with some other questions. So, um, so this conference is called The Cause to Live For, and most of the people here are probably in their late teens or 20s or 30s, and Steve, you were sharing a bit about in your uh, college, university years, what your faith kind of looks like. And, um, and so maybe it'd be great to maybe start by asking Michael and Brenda, what, what did your faith look like in your 20s? You know, if you came to a conference like this in your 20s, were you, did, you, did you realize it was the cause to live for at that point? Or were you in a different place with your faith? Well, I, I had, I felt like I was called to ministry when I was 17 and had a pretty vibrant um, youth group and was a leader there and then uh, in college as well and I just kept kind of I was hired as a church secretary they would pay me to make programs but then I do a lot of ministry on the side and um, so I, I thought you know I got to marry somebody who's a pastor and ride his coattails that's how I'm going to get in and um, so that's why it was so exciting to me when I met the vineyard and saw women doing ministry like Cindy and Steve together and a lot of other leaders that you know were part of the vineyard in our region i would see these women just serving god and flowing in the in the gifts and the spirit but i didn't i didn't have the holy spirit i had to learn how to appreciate receive and even ask for the holy spirit in my life and so i'd say my relationship with god became alive and real and tangible and fun and adventurous when I met the Holy Spirit, which wasn't until I met the vineyard. And so, um, and that, you know, God just captured my heart for it. First things I ever saw was deliverance ministry, which, you know, when I take a gift test, deliverance is my number one gift. So I felt like God was like, 
I know how to catch this girl, you know, we'll show her some deliverance. And it was just over. I was ruined for Jesus and the spirit. And, um, and from there, it just grew in learning how to receive the spirit, which, which I think is really actually kind of hard for us. And I like to actually talk about that a little bit with people and pray for people who struggle to receive the spirit, because I think we have to, to learn how to receive the spirit. It doesn't come natural. And, um, especially if we aren't in a culture that encourages that. And I, I love to see young leaders kind of set out to learn how to create a culture that welcomes and invites the spirit. And I think of what we do every single week is just create this huge arena where people can come in and feel comfortable and have their coffee and, you know, just be really relaxed. But then the Holy Spirit comes and they have their experience with the spirit. So it's kind of like just building these Holy Spirit arenas. You know, it's what you get to do as a leader and um, welcome him and teach people how to receive him. What, what was the question? I get uh, off when, track. I, I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to go back to... So, Michael, when you were in your 20s, oh. where, how was your faith? Were you on fire or did it take a while to kick in? Yeah, well, I, I, I came to Christ late, uh, like in the fall of... Uh, 76, and um, I was about 17 years old, and uh, it just, all of a sudden, I, I, I had never had a conversation with anybody about God at all. Uh, I, I never thought about what went on in a church, and when I first began to meet a few people that would go to churches, I just thought, they are weird, and, um, but when, uh, when really Christ invaded my life, it, it gave me a different perspective on everything. And so I have been, like, throughout my 20s following hard after that. And I didn't have language for an experience of God, although when I look back, there were several experiences I'd had. But I didn't have language for it until the uh, late 80s, as Brenda was saying, when we met the vineyard and began to go, oh, this is how that works. And that, that all of a sudden gave us, like, context for that. And that was in my late obviously my late 20s, but so that whole period of time, 20s, is like, I, I, there were several things that God spoke to me very clearly, you know, that I didn't even realize were like things, like at, at one point I met this guy who was a, a, a logger in Oregon, you know, uh, that cut down trees for a living and uh, har har harvested lumber, maybe is a better way to say it, it sounds less brutal. Anyway, and um, but he he actually would hire himself out to logging camp after logging camp, and at the at the lowest uh, job, and then begin to share his faith with the other men that were living on the side of this mountain doing this work. And when he would move on, two to three years later, there was a church. And when I first heard that story, I thought, Oh my gosh, like that's who I am. You know, I just I found myself just weeping and. I, it was either the Holy Spirit or the flu. I was I, I was having trouble figuring out which uh, at the moment. But then it's like several things like that in my 20s where God just really spoke to me clearly. And it's taken like, you know, the next 30 years to actually walk some of that out and actually live it out. But it's like incredibly, for me, those that was an incredibly uh, empowering decade. Awesome. And Steve, you were sharing in your talk how you had um, gone to college or university and seen 
two ways of living, you said, I think, and you saw the people who were living for Jesus and thought, I want to live my life like that. That's, that's where life was. And have you got any advice to people who are maybe at that stage of life at the moment in terms of living their life out for others to see? Uh, you know, when I went to university, I just decided I wanted to make it easy on myself to, like, be a follower of Jesus. So I thought, I'm just going to make that the first thing everybody knows about me. And so I got a great big psychedelic poster of Jesus and put it on the wall of my room. <laughs> and I got a big leather cross and I wore it every day. And I got a button that said Jesus on it, big you know, like campaign button. I wore that every day. And You're weirder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mentor me in that stuff. So. <laughs> no, well, that was... It was 1970, I had hair down to my shoulders, and uh, you know, we had the, uh, the masculine freak next door and the LSD freak down the hall a little ways, and I was the Jesus freak. <laughs> and when they had bad trips, they knew where to go. <laughs> was it the same for you guys when you were at <laughs> <laughs> Which one were you? I graduated in 1979, so, no, I, I, I didn't, I, was just wondering. Okay. I was a child when he was doing that okay. stuff. We were having a discussion in small group the other day about how most of us are probably someone's super Christian friend, and it's like kind of being the Jesus freak on campus, I think, shout out to the Jesus freaks on campus. Anyway. Um, so there may be some people here who are actually quite new to the vineyard, unlike you guys who have been around for a bit longer than some of us. Now this might be <laughs> meant with absolute love and respect that they have been around for a long time and we have a lot to learn. So this might sound like a really obvious question, but Steve, you mentioned that come Holy Spirit is one of the oldest prayers and something that probably in most vineyards we pray every Sunday, every small group. Could you actually explain, you can choose who answers this question, why do we pray that? It's saying, yes, I am. When we pray, come Holy Spirit, we're saying to the Holy Spirit, yes, I am inviting you to do whatever you want and take me wherever you want. Um, in this moment. And, and so it's, it's really about positioning ourselves. But of course, he's there already. And sometimes he doesn't ask your permission. You know, he just gets you, you know, like, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus. But many times, you know, if you put yourself in that position, then there is a response. And so when we say, come Holy Spirit, we're saying, Come, I am yours. I, it, it's, uh, I don't know if I can go down this road without getting in a hole that it's hard to get out of. But I was about to say, it's, it's, it's like, you know, in any relationship, it's like saying, let's get together. Like, you know, um, let's hang out. Let's. Yeah, that works. Yeah. 
I, I think of it exactly the same. I think, you know, God's, it's not like the Holy Spirit's went and left and he's flying around some cosmic planet somewhere and we have to beckon him back. It's, it's more for us to acknowledge our need for him in this moment. Like, I think we're turning toward and acknowledging our need for you. And so it's a posture of our heart to surrender to his presence, to practice standing in his presence, to practice like just being with him and not doing for him, um, and, and, and learning to recognize. Like I think a lot of times until we say, come Holy Spirit, and then we feel warm or faint or swaying or a tear, hot tear on our cheek, like, we don't know it's the Holy Spirit, but when you say, come Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes, it's like, oh, I think that that's a direct response to the prayer. And so we learn to recognize the Holy Spirit, and then we can give our heart over to it a little bit more uh, when we pray that. And so it's, it's a posture of our heart to acknowledge our need for him. And it's, and it's, not, a new, it's, not, it's not a new prayer with the vineyard. Uh, David Ruiz was leading worship for a thing I was in a couple of years ago, and he pulled out this second century prayer. I'd have to look it up to see exactly who it was, but uh, it starts out that way, come Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been around a long time. This is awesome. Yeah, we didn't so trademark history it. books, you'd know that. <laughs> Boom. Do, do, you, do, do you know, do you know, Steve, do you, do, do you know who that is that prayed that second century probably Irenaeus but I think I think it was yeah someone yeah. check that on your phone um Brenda you used a word um present you spoke about the presence presence of the Holy Spirit and I was reading we have those I think they are from the states the little leaflets the vineyard distinctives and there's what a come Holy Spirit focused book on that and um I read this phrase it says we in the vineyard are people of the presence of God and I loved that phrase, people of the presence of God. And I just wondered whether you would be able to um, explain a little bit more about maybe what that phrase means. And also, you know, we talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And I know that in other churches, they might be a bit more afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit and acknowledge who he is. Could you maybe explain a bit about that? Yeah, I think that there's two parts to the Holy Spirit and experiencing him. And one is the theology of the Holy Spirit and the other is the practice of the Holy Spirit. And some people, you know, um, maybe have a theology but no practice or they are attracted to. I know when I first came to the vineyard, I was very attracted to the things of the Spirit. I could tell there was something that I'd been missing and that I'd wanted and there, that it was real and, and even that quite tangible and healings were happening and deliverances were were happening and, and you're watching somebody get set free, you know, right before your eyes and pass from suicide and death to life and and you know you, you start to see what happens in the presence of the Holy Spirit and you get more and more dependent on it and you realize like you don't want to live without it anymore. Like it's boring without the Holy Spirit. And that's where the real adventure is. And that's where the, you know, that's where your relationship with God comes alive. Before that, we know a lot about God. We have been taught about God. We have theology about God. But until our head and our heart get a little more connected and we begin to experience 
what's, what that, the, that theology, when we begin to have those experiences, then we, we are literally learning how to give ourselves over to and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think that, I actually think we're not great at it. I think that we have a lot of guard up. We're trying to keep all the bad things out and in doing that we keep a lot of the good things out and we're, we've had lots of self-protection. And, and so I think it's actually hard for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And I think we have to learn to stand in his presence and, and what does it feel like and to be a person who loves the presence and doesn't want to live without it and stays longer and waits and, and then ushers other people into that. Can I pray for you right now? Because I think God loves you deeply and wants to touch you in this moment. And then you start to pray for people and the kingdom of God comes crashing into the natural realm. And, you know, you, 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 you become a person who doesn't want to live without the presence of the Holy Spirit because it's just lame and boring. And, you know, I, I mean, so I think, I think that it's such a privilege um, to experience him and at some point we just have to learn to stand in his presence and stay in his presence and and learn to love it and learn to receive it and learn to let that guard down you know the one person you can trust is the father the son and the spirit and so when you get in the presence of god you have to tell yourself okay hold on a minute here all my distrust all my doubt all my unbelief all my lord you know break it off of me right now because I can let my guard down and I can trust you. You're that one person I can let come close. It's not going to be bad. It's going to be good, you know, and just kind of teach. We teach ourselves to receive. I really like that phrase. We're a people of the presence um, because the thing throughout the scriptures that marks the people of God is the presence of God and, and the Holy Spirit is our experience of God's presence and like, that's the thing that, like, sets us apart as the followers of Jesus. It sets the people of God apart kind of throughout history is God's presence is there. Oh, my gosh. Like, God's presence is with that group. So it's, I mean, that's, that's, that's who we are. Yeah, and Michael and Brenda, we, um, I'd love to ask you guys, Steve was sharing as well about his first experience of the Holy Spirit when it really just came and gave him a big whack. And I just, I wonder if you could maybe, when was the first time you guys experienced the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I think yours was when Steve came and gave you a big whack and yeah. the Holy Spirit was there. I was, I was at a, a thing in South Minneapolis and I was kind of sitting in the back. I'm kind of a little bit analytical and critical and I like to argue, especially if I can make the other person cry. That's always the most fun argument to have. That's and, really true. And. Um, <laughs> And so Steve's up talking and he's sharing stuff and I'm thinking, wow, if this, if this is true, there's like more to relationship with God than I've previously experienced. And so we had people stand up, you know, and hold their hands out and I close my eyes. And the next thing I know, Steve's right in front of me and I was like three quarters of the way back, but he's right in front of me and he's, he puts his finger on my forehead and he just says, Holy Spirit, come. And immediately like in a way that I couldn't like explain, just this wave of lightheadedness, dizziness came over me and I think I smiled. And then Steve asked me, he said, do you like that? And I thought, is it okay to like it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you want some more? And I'm like, oh, okay. I think, yeah, yeah, I'll have some more. Give me another helping. And, um, and so he grabbed the gal next to me, whom I didn't know, and just put her f- hand on my forehead and says, you know, just keep, keep your hand right there. And he took off. And I'm thinking, oh, what's that going to do? And immediately as I closed my eyes and kind of tuned back in, the presence of God was all over me. And so, like, he came back later and, and checked on me. And uh, I think she was happy because she got to take her arm down. And... Um, and, and, then he, and then he said this thing to me. He said, you know, the reason God does that, it lets us experience his presence so we can give it away. And there was a couple right behind us. And he said, you know, like, I think we're supposed to pray for them. He goes, why don't you pray? And the only vineyard prayer I had learned was just a few moments ago where you reach out and touch them on the forehead and say, Holy Spirit, come. So I started to do that. And she just collapsed sobbing. And then he stepped in and began to really pray through a situation. And I'll never forget, they came to that meeting uh, that evening. It was a Friday evening as kind of a last-ditch effort to hear God before they ended their marriage. And God showed up and did some stuff. And so I watched him pray over them and kind of bring this whole thing out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is cool. Do you remember that at all? No. Uh, no. <laughs> it's okay, honey. <laughs> It totally marked my world for the better. It's like, Ruined you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, um, as I said, didn't have any, any theology or practice of the spirit until I met the vineyard. And I was really attracted to it. But for me, I would see other people experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I really wasn't. And so I would be up there all the time for prayer, but not a lot would happen. And uh, I can remember somebody, a vineyard pastor, came one time. The Spirit was all over the room, and people, God was doing so much. And I'm just standing there, you know, just like my little spot, and nothing's happening with me. And I remember thinking, there's something wrong with me, because all these other people get it, and I don't get it. And um, the person who came and prayed for me said, you know, I, I expressed some frustration about that. And he's like, well, let's pray. And then, you know, I, I don't know whether I cried because I was frustrated or what, but he said, you know, this tear came down my face. And he said, do you feel that hot tear on your cheek right now? I said, yes. He said, that's Jesus. And then he just began to, you know, minister more to that place in me, that desire that I had to really experienced God, and I was really hungry for it, um, but just had been taught that it wasn't okay. And I think I was in the vineyard about five years before I had another experience, and, and that was a speaker speaking, and she uh, was really, the Holy Spirit was on her so much that she was having a hard time standing up, and she was telling this amazing story of how God saved her life. She almost died, and he healed her miraculously. She was from Canada, and so somebody went up, and they were, like, kind of holding her up while she told the rest of the story. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching, and it was like two things were happening to me. One of them was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This is God. How can, oh, my gosh. And the other part of me was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, she can't even stand up. Somebody get her off the stage. You know, it was like there was this s- s- thing in me that was getting really offended 
And so I went up to her afterwards and I said, I am really offended by you, but I want what you have. <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, that's just a spirit of religion. And so she put her hand on my head. She goes, do you want to get rid of it? And I said, yeah. She put her hand on my head and she just prayed for the spirit to come. And this, you know, pretty loud cries came out of me. It was pretty dramatic. It felt like God was pulling something up, you know, from deep down in my gut. And uh, I've never been offended by the Holy Spirit since. And, and I've been able to receive him since then. And that wasn't something I knew I had or wanted. It was just something I had from being raised in a pretty conservative evangelical uh, church where, you know, I never, I never could experience the Spirit. So it was a process for me. And I've watched a lot of people go through that process. I can remember this gal sitting in the second row of our church. And we were having a big healing service. Spirit was all over the room. People were doing it, everything, you name it. And she was, she was just sobbing. And I went over and I put my arm around her. She'd been in church like three months. She goes, this freaks me out, but I think this is what the church is supposed to do. <laughs> and I just said, you know what? That's the process of, that we all have to go through. It's okay. Just let yourself work through it. Take the time to work through it. That's normal. That's normal for most. That's probably 85% of us have to go through that process. And so you've all kind of shared about your process of encountering the Holy Spirit for the first time. And over the years, would you say that your experience or relationship has, has changed? Has it, has it shifted or grown or gone deeper? Has it changed over the years or is it kind of the same as it was in the very, very beginning? Steve, do you want to start, kick us off? I think in the beginning I was very often concerned about whether he was really going to be with me. You know, when I pray, come Holy Spirit, really, really come. And so there was a lot of kind of double thinking, like in the sense that I would be thinking about the Holy Spirit, but I'd also be thinking about myself. Like, how am I doing in this situation? And what's changed is I don't do the self part anymore. Like, I'm, I know he's here and he's with me and he's not going away and I, it really doesn't matter how I'm doing. And uh, so I, I'm not spending very much time thinking about how am I doing here, which actually just allows me to be more focused on him and on the people that he's trying to minister to. And th th I think that's been a function of practice. You know, in the last 35 years, I've probably prayed for nearly 20,000 people individually. So. You know, it's a whole different ballgame when you've prayed for more than 10,000. That's a completely different league. <laughs> and Michael and Brenda, would you have anything to add? And has it changed for you over the years, would you say? Yeah, I think a couple things have changed. I think of, like, I used to have these, like, really high points that I would look forward to at meetings like this. Um, where it was high expectation, God's going to do some stuff. What, what's, when I reflect back on even like the last five years, it's like, wow, I have really cool moments with the Lord um, just doing simple things like uh, making bread or, or painting or, or, you know, riding my bike. Centrifugal force. God made it. Centrifugal force is amazing. The, 
you know, and so like, but these kind of worship moments and intense moments with the Lord that have nothing to do with uh, what we would necessarily consider ministry. And then, so that's, that's one piece. So instead of these big highs and lows, it's like there's this more consistency to my experience of God. And then secondly, as Steve was saying, just that over the er, earlier on, it was like a lot of work to actually reach out and pray for somebody that I didn't know at a class I was teaching or something like that, that wasn't in church. And, um, and it, it, seeing God move so many times in so many people's lives, it's just like a, a no brainer that, oh my gosh, somebody's hurting. Yeah, let's just pray right now. And, and you don't, you don't start thinking about, you know, what are people thinking of me? Like, is this the time to do that? Like you, you just, you just like step out and do it. And it becomes this kind of much more seamless interaction with God. That's, that's there a lot. So. Wow, you guys are so mature. Because <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking about how there's certain things that don't go away. Like, it, it still feels like a risk to me to lead ministry time and try to stand in the tension of the already and the not yet and wonder, you know, like, how to not flip to the already or to the not yet. And, you know, I, I still... I. I, I have gotten comfortable with the discomfort, but it's still uncomfortable every time to stand in the tension and hold the tension, just hold the line. And I used to maybe not do stuff because I was afraid, and now I just do it afraid. So, you know, you guys sound like you're not afraid anymore. I'm still afraid all the time. Um, you know, but the definition of courage is just doing it afraid. And, um, and it, you know, I, I just, I feel a lot, I feel, I struggle with a lot of fear and flaws and failures and I'm just learning to, I think one thing that has changed is I'm learning to be honest about it. I think I used to try to hide it and that would be, you know, my definition of a strong leader that I don't have limitations and that I don't have those things and I'm, I'm learning that um, I can be transparent about that as a leader and be more vulnerable as a leader and that it's actually helpful for people to see that leaders do do struggle with some of the stuff that um, you know we all struggle with, and risk always feels like risk, and you know courage is not ten feet tall and bulletproof. It's doing it afraid, and that's my real life. That's pretty much what happens to me on a day-to-day -day basis. But I'm I think I've I'm more comfortable being honest about it, and and I'm pretty like bent on transformation like I'm I when, when God called me I knew I was a leader and I kind of have this oh crap moment every time God gives me more leadership I was like oh my gosh I gotta get my crap together you know because God's giving me more leadership and I have this fear of God that comes on me that's just like I don't want to be the leader that makes you know people fall or that um has immorality or you know like I just I, I get nervous when I get more leadership and then I get on my knees, I get on my face and, I was, and I'm like, God, you gotta change me. Change me so I can do the things that you're calling me to do. And so I spend you know, a lot of time just trying to think about how to keep growing you know, at 55. How do, how do I keep growing so that 
um, I'm leading out of a place of transformation because I'm coming to the conclusion that if I'm not leading out of a place of transformation and growth, then I'm not really leading because I'm sustaining or maintaining something, but I'm not really leading. And so that's, I'm a, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm on a pony there. I'm on a pony. Transformation. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, probably the fear you were talking about is the most common fear that people have about this is what if it's not God? You know, you think, well, like, if I say this, if I do this, if I pray for this person, if I give this word, if, you know, what if it's not God? And the truth is there's only way, one way to find out. Just try it and you'll find out if it's God or not. And if, it, if it's not God, and sometimes it's not, at least you tried. The more serious question is, what if it is God and you don't do it? You know, and somebody was there and it was their last meeting before they got divorced or whatever. You know, what if it was God and you missed it? So basically, because of that, I just swing at every pitch. And eventually, you're bound to hit something eventually. <laughs> yeah, when we teach a, a prayer class, I always say one of my sub points is about taking risks is that uh, you guys know who Babe Ruth is no, in the UK? They don't know that. You don't know who Babe Ruth is? No. Look at them, Steve. They're saying yes. Se se seven no, people I see their hands yeah. saying no. This means no. no. Tell them who Babe Ruth is. <laughs> Babe Ruth, like, Baseball player. He's, he's like one of the most famous baseball players in the USA, in history, in the history. Did you ever read that history book? <laughs> um, <laughs> the year that he set the record sports. for the most home runs was the same year that he set the record for the most strikeouts. So the way that he hit the ball that many times was he swung the bat more. And so that's what we tell people. If you want to see more healing, you have to pray more. You have to pray more if you're not seeing enough healing and then you see more healing. I love that advice. Uh, but do it afraid. I remember that. Brenda, you touched on, um, you mentioned the already and the not yet. I was wondering if you or any of you would like to explain for anyone who maybe hasn't heard that phrase before, what we mean by the already and the not yet or the now and the not yet as we sometimes call it. That is what we call a softball pitch, sort of like, oh, the question you most want to hear. So, thousands of years ago, ages and ages ago, God spoke to his prophets and he said one day he would send his Messiah, his priest king, who would come to restore to this earth the rule of God, where what was done on earth would be the same as what was done in heaven. And when he came, he would make right in this world everything that's wrong. They would beat their swords into plowshares, and he would wipe every tear from their eyes, and even death itself would be defeated and they would no longer harm, no longer be divided, no longer hate, no longer no sorrow, no longer no grief. The lion will lie down with the lamb. 
and the child will play in the viper's nest, and they will not, not harm or destroy on all God's holy mountain, and the knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the earth. And when Jesus came, he came and said, it starts now. The kingdom of God is here. The beginning of making right everything that's wrong starts now. And so it's already here. But it's not completed. There's a war on. There was an invasion from heaven to take this world back. And so it's already here, this glorious age of the future that our hearts yearned for. But it's not here in fullness. It's not here quite yet in the way that we want. And so it's already and not yet. And every time you see the power of God, and every time you see somebody healed, and every, every time you see somebody set free from hopelessness and suicide and death and all the things that the demons try to bring to them, every time you see that, that is a sign from heaven that the promise is true. And that he will come again, and when he does, it will all be true. That's really good. And so we live in that in-between time between Jesus's first coming and second coming. And there is enormous tension in that. And, and we've probably like you've probably seen people who just simply give in to fatalism on one side because living in tension is a hard place to live. And so they give in to fatalism on one side and said, well, whatever's going to be is going to be. Or on the other side, the, there's groups of folks that will say, well, if we prayed for you and you didn't get healed, it's your fault. There's something wrong with you. There's something going on there. And that willingness to actually live in the tension, let God be God, to keep swinging at every pitch and to keep going for it, even though you don't see it all the time, is the part of the beauty of being the people of the presence right now today in our families and in our communities and in our neighborhoods. It's like there, there, there's, there's enormous beauty in staying and living in that tension. And like, don't try to resolve that. Don't try to like yeah. make it one way or the other. But we get to be participants in what God's doing. We're like emissaries of that kingdom today. We, we get to bring that everywhere we go. But God's the one who's doing the heavy lifting. And sometimes we actually see it come to fruition and sometimes we don't, but we never give up. We never stop trying. Yeah, and, it's, and that's why sometimes we pray and people get healed and sometimes they don't. It's the already and then the not yet, you know, side by side. And, you know, when I get mistreated as a woman leader in ministry, that's just simply the not yet of the kingdom. When bad things happen, that's the not yet. When the Lord comes in power and he gets what he wants, that's the already. And so that's why we feel like we're going back and forth all the time, because that's our reality. And my favorite thing about this kind of kingdom theology is that it's the only thing that explains what we see happening around us. So it's like, you know, it, it's, re, it's our reality. That, that explains it all. 
And so now it, it does resolve some of the, the confusion because it's like, oh, sometimes people get healed and sometimes they don't. Already? Not yet. Okay, I can live with that. I just need to keep being the person who's going to continually bring God's kingdom more and more, bring the light into the darkness. I love the way that you guys just explained such a huge question. Um, and, it, and it links to something I think you said, Steve, um, when you spoke to us just now about um, trying to live a life beyond human explanation, living a life beyond human explanation. Struggling over that word, people. He did really well earlier. I'm not doing so well with that. Um, it's a long word. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, and it links back to maybe some of the stuff that Wimber taught on power evangelism, power healing. Um, and I just wondered whether you could expand on what it looks like to live that life. I'm not going to say that word again. Um, what it looks like to try and live that life out day to day and, and for it to permeate the areas of our lives. One of the things I think about is whenever God invites you into something, it's generally something that you don't feel like you can do. I mean, I think maybe most of the time. It's something that you're like, I don't know how that could ever work. And so we pull back from it. But I think to like stay in that place is to continually put ourselves in positions where we're dependent on God. If he doesn't show up, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and empower this thing, it's going to be really stupid. But if he does, that's going to be awesome. And so I love putting myself in that position because otherwise it's just more of Michael. And honestly, nobody but Brenda needs more of Michael. <laughs> I was hoping she still did, but that's, that's very good. clever. Yeah. You're so you're so clever. That's that's very attractive to you. Enough so already. How does it play how does it work out? You're so distracting. So <laughs> how does it work out in a day to day life? The already in the not yet of the kingdom? The or, or demonstrating risk. it to others and letting others see it. It's hard. Mm. I don't think it's easy. I think it's hard because it's battle. I think there's a war going on. There's a lie being told to us every stinking day not to do it. And What's so the lie? the lie is, you know, when was your last big sin? You know, or, you know, you prayed for 10 people and they didn't get healed. What makes you think the 11th one's going to get healed? You know, it, it's, it's just a constant barrage of lies from the enemy, traps that he sets to try to abort what God wants and sabotage us so that we don't, we don't take risks. We don't, we don't try. And, and so faith is risk. Faith is doing it afraid. And so I think it's hard because it's battle. And I don't think kingdom stuff, frontline spiritual warfare, bringing the kingdom of God is frontline spiritual warfare. It's never going to feel, you know, easy. But I'll tell you, at the end of a day of doing deliverance, sometimes I'm like driving home, you know, and just crying because I can't believe I get to do this. Like, what a privilege to be there and see God do that. It's like, it's an amazing privilege and you, it's fun. It's fun. 
you know, I think you're right. It's the battle. But that's why we do it together. That's why we do it together. If you're wondering, like, why be in church? That's why. Because it's a battle. But when we do it together, we can encourage each other. We can strengthen each other. We can mentor each other. And that helps you get out there and say yes another day. And swing another day, day after day. Together, we can do this. Um, just to go back to um, when we, at the end of that session, we obviously had a time where people could respond, and, and we, you led into that by, you picked out a group of people that were just in the, in the audience and just kind of, audience congregation, said just, you know, stood them up and called something out and said that you'd seen the Spirit of God on them. And I just wondered if you could kind of teach us and explain to us what it means to see the Spirit of God on people, how you identify that and call it out to help us to be able to learn to do that too. Yeah, it's really fun. So here's the deal. When you look outside and you say, look at the wind, you don't actually see the wind, right? What you see is the effects of the wind. Or if you stand out in it, you can feel it. You can feel its force. But you don't actually see the wind. But we often use the phrase, see the wind. And the same thing is true when we say, see the Holy Spirit. So when I look at them and say, you know, I see the Holy Spirit on them, I'm not actually seeing the Holy Spirit. I'm seeing the effects of the Holy Spirit's power in their body. Because it's real power. And it has real physical effects. So I did not see supernaturally. It was physical observation. I was standing at the back. I was looking at their faces. And... I could see that, they, that the Spirit of God was releasing his power on them because when his power comes, your body heats, heats up and you start to sweat and you turn color or you, feel, you start to feel energy or weight upon you and it changes your posture or sometimes even they changes shake your... shake you. They shake. You can, yeah, there's turn. breathing. So when we're in a situation like this and we're trying to minister, I'm just trying to see where is the Holy Spirit already working. Like, you guys think like I'm starting it, like I'm picking it on his behalf, but it's the opposite. He picks and I'm following. Yeah. And I'm just looking around trying to see where is he already working and then I go up and pray there. It makes me look good. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, I think, one of the big keys is to recognize the spirit because he's already all, always doing stuff. And when you pray for someone who's trying to learn how to receive the Holy Spirit, like I pray with my eyes open so I can see the effects of the Holy Spirit on someone. I was praying for a lovely young lady just earlier. And I, I said, do you feel Jesus on you? And she said, no. And I said, because I see Jesus on you. But she was, she was, her, her lips were kind of quivering a little bit. She was swaying, and there was this incredible peace that just was like, had washed over her. And so I, we talked a little bit about just learning how to recognize that's not you. It's not you taking a nap. It's not, you know, this is, this is Jesus, and he's doing something because we asked him to. And we're going to actually be responsive to that and receive it, but we're also gonna call it what it is and recognize it. And so most of the time, you're just learning how to recognize 
what the Holy Spirit looks like. So when someone says, oh, he's right here in the room, what they mean is they can look out there and see the effects of the Holy Spirit on about 30 people that are all, they just happen to be sitting right there in the room. And so, you know, we're not trying to make it happen. Like Steve said, we're just trying to follow and recognize. And then when we call it, sometimes it builds faith. Like when you say that and somebody's sitting there trembling, like, oh my gosh, I thought I was just hungry. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit because he said the Holy Spirit was in the, this section and I'm in this section. And, the, and they start to give their heart over to it a little bit more. And so it builds their faith. And so it's, it's, it's very simple. Um, and so when you hear people talk like that, they're just, they've taken the time to recognize and, and then learn how to call it what it is and then give their heart over to it or encourage people to do that. When you learn how to see... You can see it anywhere, on the bus, on the train, walking down the street, talking to your family. You can be in the middle of a conversation with somebody and suddenly something is said and you can see the Holy Spirit just come right on them, right there. They don't even have to be believers because there's no, nothing that says the Holy Spirit can't come on unbelievers. In fact, he loves to do so. Well, and I, I'm actually starting to say that to unbelievers more. Um, we do this, some street ministry, and there was a, a guy at a bus station, and the first thing I asked was like, hey, you waiting for the bus? What time's the bus come? He's like, 20 minutes. I'm like, sweet, 20 <laughs> minutes. I got 20 minutes to seal the deal. And so, you know, I ask him more questions, and he tells me that he is a father, but the mother of his child just took the child and left town and he's like, I'm so sad because I really want to be a good father. And, you know, I just, I, I wish I could be a good father, but I don't know how I'm going to see him. I, I got to stay and work and maybe I can sometimes go visit him, but it's going to be hard and cost money. And I just felt like the Lord said that heart to be a good father is God's heart in him. And so I just said that to him, like, you know, the reason why you want to be a good father is that's, that's the father heart of God for you. He put that in you for your son. Can I pray for you right now? And, you know, then he's like, yeah, and then he's crying, and he's crying over his son, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm crying. I'm like, that's okay. I said, I cry when the Holy Spirit comes to you. No big deal. So the fact is, is that God is doing stuff all the time. He's putting his heart in people, and we're just recognizing it when we have a conversation. Or How, how did you guys learn to see what God's doing? Like, what was I followed that? him around. I followed John Wimber around. There you go. I followed them both around. <laughs> it does help to have people help you recognize. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, I'll do things like, you know, see that? Look at that? Do you notice this? Like, he, he, his heart right now, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to pick on the end just now, everybody. Take a good look at him. Put the camera Turn your face on. that way a little bit. It. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Have a good look at him. <laughs> just as we've been talking here, his heart has been saying, yes! There's been like this inner witness, and the spirit came on him. And you can see, look at his ears. <laughs> <laughs> look at his ears look at his face you can't see it there's like some they're, they're, they like turn color they, there's like there's power on him just now sitting right here mm -hmm. 
And a, a lot of times I ask questions to God. This is one of the ways I really learned how to hear God and, and recognize. I'll, I'll ask him, what are, you, what are you doing with that person? What are you doing with the people in this room? What do you want for the person that I'm having the conversation with? And God will drop his thoughts in your heart and mind, and then you just go with it because you're not answering your own question. You know, God is. And, and the person you're praying for may or may not even recognize that right away or the, the same way that you would. Uh, a friend of mine recent, and I recently were doing a, a much smaller meeting, and we invited somebody who had a physical ailment uh, to come up front, and we began to pray for her. And immediately, you could see her eyelids just begin to flutter at a pace that you couldn't naturally do, and she started weaving back and forth. And, and so I just asked her in front of everybody, do you, are you sensing anything right now? Do you, do you feel the Holy Spirit at all? And she's like going like this. She goes, no, I don't feel a thing. Right. You know, and she's like, and I go, okay, well, you know, let's just keep praying. Uh, I think God might want to do something. And, and it, as we prayed for her, God healed her like on the spot. And then she began to weep and she realized, oh, this is really the Lord doing something. But it's like the, you, you begin to see those little telltale signs and you recognize, okay, so God's up to something. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. And they may not even recognize what's happening, so, yeah. And would, would you guys have any advice to anyone who's maybe here this weekend and feels nervous about this stuff whenever we go to those times when the Holy Spirit's doing something or maybe anyone that's never felt like they've really experienced the Holy Spirit? Do you have any advice for them this weekend? I think sometimes it's helpful, like if you see something and you feel offended or confused like why why are they doing what they're doing if you are, are if you know if you really want to kind of work at it just go to the person afterwards after it's finished and ask them would you mind telling me like what was happening there and what you were experiencing on the inside because of course the real point is what's happening on the inside not what what does it look like on the outside so just interview people and ask him that that's a good start yeah I, I actually prayed for myself a lot and put my hand on my heart and just tell my heart to receive um, and I got prayer a thousand times and said I don't know what I need prayer for except that I need to learn to receive the Holy Spirit would you pray for that for me um, and I, I got a lot of prayer about that and just I kept telling my heart to trust Jesus and that he only had good and perfect gifts for me and that I could, and that I can't live without his presence. And I don't want to do this with religion. I want it to be a relationship with him. And so, you know, the cost of a relationship, well, the cost of religion without relationship with Jesus and the spirit is deadly. I mean, it's just not worth it. And eventually you just keep pressing into the process of receiving but practice just standing in his presence quit quit trying to do so much for god and just go be with him you know try five ten minutes and say holy spirit come and then just practice his presence and don't pray or intercede just receive think i think of like picking up a glass of water and drinking it in like he's the living water and just letting that go down and kind of wash through me and actually can pray for myself right now and you will see the Holy Spirit. That's what we should do, Steve, to teach him how to see the Holy Spirit. 
Let's pray for me. <laughs> now we're all laughing. I, I think uh, <laughs> just continuing to like take risks and receive prayer. Like if you're yeah. feeling nervous about this, if this feels like, I don't know about this, you know, you can be a, a cynic from, you know, the, the highest seats and never participate and you'll always stay there. Um, but if you go, you know, get involved and come and get some prayer and come and hang out around people that are praying for other people and kind of try your hand at receiving and try your hand at giving, it's like a lot of the nervousness then begins to go away because, wait a minute, there, there is something kind of going on with that. And so, and don't give up. Say so you pray like 10 times and it doesn't work. Who cares? Just, you know, try it again. When, when I left that very first concert, uh, not concert, that conference thing that Steve was doing, you know, when he prayed for me and, uh, and I felt dizzy. And w w as we were getting ready to leave, we were cleaning up. He actually gave me an assignment. And he said, uh, you know, if you want to see if this is really real, he goes, the next 100 people that you meet that aren't feeling well, you can tell they're not feeling well. The next 100 people, uh, just pray for them on the spot. And the very next morning, Monday morning, I'm teaching a watercolor class. A gal comes in. She looks horrible. Like, and she normally looked great, right? And, and uh, migraine headache. I prayed for her after arguing with God, you know, and God heals her, like, on the spot. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to keep doing this. And I, I don't remember when I got to the 100 because I lost count. I just, uh, somewhere along that way, I decided I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. I want to. I want to see the. I want to see God show up, and so that's part of the way to break through that. At the beginning of that weekend, I was the cynical one. I was kind of judging what was going on, trying to decide if it was worthy or not. By the end of you know a couple weeks, I'm like, all right, I, I this is really real. I want to be involved in this. I would say to you though, you can't serve what you ain't cooking. And so you can't lead people where you're not going. It's going to be a lot easier to see people experience the Spirit as you have experienced the Spirit because you know how to help them get to Jesus because you went there and you received from him. And so don't, don't cut short. Or even if you get good at praying for people and God comes, you know, like 50, 60, 70% of the time when you pray for people, don't stop getting prayer. I say the most healthy people are the people who are both giving and receiving prayer all the time. Those are the most healthy people, the most whole people. They're doing both, both and. I'd love to just finish by almost coming full circle to how I introduced that cause is really about raising up a generation to learn the stuff that you guys have been doing. So with everything that we've talked about and the fact that we're here for this weekend, what would your advice be to us as a group? I would say if you want to see the work of God in your generation, this is probably your most important tool right here because this is how people from other religions and this is how people who are atheists and skeptics come to Jesus through encounters with God's power. And it's happening all over the place. You can't argue them into it, you can't think them into it, but when they meet the power of Jesus, it doesn't matter. 
and that's how it works. So if you want to see this for your generation, this is the key. Yeah, and I didn't believe in any of the gifts of the Spirit. I wrote thesis papers on why they weren't for today and got an A plus in my theology class. So I had to pray for the gifts of the Spirit like one at a time and you know, God captured my heart for them one at a time. And, uh, you know, if God can deliver someone, then he can heal someone, then he can, you know, and tongues I left for the, la the last gift. And I prayed for tongues for a couple years. But one of the things I learned from doing that kind of like process of letting God be God <laughs> in, in all the ways that he is in, in my life and in my ministry was I kept seeking God, not the gifts, not the power, but, you know, even Michael and I, you know, we're leaders in Vineyard Church before we ever spoke in tongues or had a, a, a gift of tongues, and we were worshiping God at a conference in Anaheim, and we both got the, the gift of tongues while we were just saying back to God things that are true about him, and, you know, nobody was doing any weird things over us. And so as you seek God's face, as you seek his presence, as you love him with all your heart, then the spirit is how, that, that's, it's, that's the dance. That's where the interaction happens is, you know, that's where you experience God is through the Holy Spirit. So just be careful that you don't get lost in a search for, you know, seeking the healing or seeking the, the gift the giver of the gift, Almighty God and his love for you and your love for him. And then the rest just, it just comes out of that. I, I agree. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, I think it would be a shame to finish this session about the Holy Spirit without praying. So I'd love to ask you guys if you'd be up for it as we close this session. Would you be happy to just pray for us? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah.